All right, Exodus chapter 15. How many of you got it? Shout it out if you found it. Yeah. You got it? Okay, how many of you don't have it? Shout that out. All right, I didn't think you'd participate. Okay. All right, we're looking at chapter 15. Now, let me bring you up to date as to what's happened thus far. What happened in the previous chapter was that Israel has left Egypt. They've now crossed the Red Sea. The miracle of God has transpired. If you weren't here last week, go back and check out the podcast, and you'll find out that we gave some archaeological evidence for uh, the, the crossing of the Red Sea. Even chariot wheels have been discovered at the bottom of where they believe it crossed. And so it's a miracle of God when we begin to see him unfold some things like this. What you have to understand is we have a people, Israel, who've been in bondage for 400 plus years. They're slaves in their head. They're captured by the enemy, Satan, who is really exemplified in the person of Pharaoh. And so their thinking is not the thinking of warriors. It's a thinking of victims. God could have taken them up the way of the Philistines, right up along the sea there. It was only 12 miles into the promised land. Instead, he took them across the Red Sea into the wilderness and allowed them to wander for 40 years. You see, sometimes God takes you on a long journey because he has to get the victim out of you. He has to get the slave out of you in order to get the warrior inside of you. So he took them there. He allowed them to wander around to encounter all kinds of setbacks in their life because ultimately God was not as much concerned about their comfort as he was about their character. And God has not changed. The God who was concerned about the character of the individual back then is concerned about the character of the individual today. And unless you have this receptive heart and the character is right, the Holy Spirit will be grieved and he will not fill you. He will not control you. He will not guide you. The Bible tells us that all who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8, if you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. So evidence that you know Him is the Spirit of God. Evidence that you're walking with Him is the leadership of the Spirit of God in you. Now when you look back over what happened, it's a miracle just to stop and think that a man named Moses walks into the Pharaoh... And he says, let my people go. And in that process of deliverance, the ten plagues come. They finally are so sick of these Israelites, they say, get out of town, take all the gold and silver you want. But what happened was the true God, the living God, threw down the gauntlet to the gods of Egypt. He said, stop the plagues if you can, and they could not. But the wise and the powerful and the pride of the Egyptians would not do anything. All of imperial Egypt had bowed at the feet then of the slaves of the God of Jehovah. The principalities and powers, the demonic forces of every kind stood transfixed as Moses spoke. Thrones and dominions of darkness were shaken at the voice of one man who stood for God. And I've got good news for you. When you stand for God, all the demonic forces, all the principalities and powers, all the thrones and dominions, they bow down, not at you, but at the God that is in you. 
Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, God has come to be an overcomer through you. He has made you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ in order that you might bring forth the glory of God in this world. We fail to realize our authority and our power over the evil one even in our land. We have become apologetic as Christians for our faith, ashamed to speak his name, and yet wanting him to speak our name. Wanting him to call uh, and call us at home, and yet we fail to call him at home. There's an interesting figure in history. Amenhotep was a pharaoh, and he's probably one of the most intriguing pharaohs in one dimension. We knew very little about him until recently, but what we believe is that in the sixth year of his reign, he proclaimed solar monotheism. Now let me explain what that means. He took all the gods of Egypt and said, no, there's just one God. Just one God. And it is the sun God. Now, if you stop and think about it, that's about as radical as a Christian saying, we're not going to worship one God, we're going to worship, worship many gods. Why did he do that? What was the connection? He's connected directly to Moses. Undoubtedly, after that experience there with the ten plagues, it must have so rattled the minds and the hearts of the Egyptians that this Egyptian, Amenhotep, he thought to himself, we've got to move in a direction of a single God because there is a single God, Jehovah. He didn't make the full move, but he made a move. The God of the slaves had affected him. The reason I tell you that, do not be surprised that the God who lives in you can transform the people around you into a better understanding of God, and no one comes instantly to believe in the true God. There is a process, there is a journey, a journey of influence that you and I make on a daily basis into the lives of people. Only yesterday our neighbors, new neighbors moved in. Some of you know about our cul-de-sac. Russian Jews, Syrian Arabs, Koreans. We lost our Aussies. We just got people from British Columbia. <laughs> we were leaving to go to dinner last night with some friends. We walked out and we met John and we began to talk to him about God and about church. And he said, well, I'll be looking for a church. We just moved in today. And, and, uh, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is too easy. <laughs> this is too easy. This is much easier than the Jews and the Muslims, by the way. <laughs> But you sit there and think, if you will ask God to create divine appointments for you, if you will walk in the Spirit of God, you'll be surprised what God will do. Because God wants to do great and mighty things in you and through you. Look in the book of Exodus chapter 15, and we're going to read just a few verses here at the beginning. It says in verse 1, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, This is the first song in the Bible. It is a song about God. And listen to what it says. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And look what it says. And he has become my salvation. You see, God, you're not just automatically a Christian. You're not automatically saved or redeemed. That's something that becomes. That's one thing that transforms by the power of God. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Now, what's interesting, if you'll keep your Bible there, go over to the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible, easy to find. 
Shout it out when you've got it. You got it? Got it. Got it? Okay. Look what it says beginning in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read the first five verses to you. Now, I want you to understand something about the Bible. Because it is by divine inspiration, God ties all the pieces together in a way that only he could do. John, 90 years old, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and look what he says. Verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. I know you're thinking, where is he going with this? But just watch. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had have the victory over the beast, over the image, and over the mark, and over the number of his name, which is 666, standing on a sea of glass, having the harps of God. These are those who resisted and stood against the Antichrist during the tribulation who have now become martyrs of the faith. They're standing on this sea of glass, and look what they say. And they sing the song of Moses. They sing the song of Moses. They're singing the song we just read about in Exodus chapter 15. And the song of the Lamb. You see, what God does in the Old Testament through the Red Sea is equivalent in one sense what God does in the New Testament through the cross. Everybody in the Old Testament, they looked back and the point of remembrance was the crossing of the Red Sea because they were delivered from the power of Pharaoh or Satan. They experienced a baptism through the Red Sea and were pushed into a land not of heaven but of conflict where they were to be sojourners and pilgrims on the earth. And look what they said. So they're singing the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb and look what they said. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come before you and worship you. For your judgments have been manifest. And these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. You know what happens when you sing the song of the Lamb, when you sing the song of Moses? It says the tabernacle of the Lord God opens up. Do you know that that tabernacle in the Old Testament was simply a picture of the heavenly tabernacle, the book of Hebrews tells us? Do you know what happens when you start to sing the praises of God? Have you read the scripture where it says God inhabits the praises of his people? When you begin to praise, the tabernacle of God opens in heaven and you can then receive and, and he can give back to you these great riches of glory. Do you ever wonder about the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? on earth as it already is in heaven. See, our whole life is about getting heaven in us and through us that we might manifest God in our world. Why? Go with me to Revelation chapter 5 for just a moment. Revelation chapter 5. Tell me when you got it. Shout it out. Got it? Got it? All right. This is fun. This is participatory. You, you get to shout it out in church, right? You just say, I got it. Let's try it. Everybody try it. I got it. Oh, isn't that good? Doesn't that feel good? Sound good? Keep you awake? Okay. That's really the goal is to keep you from falling asleep during one of my messages. All right. Revelation chapter 5. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. But one of the elders said unto me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, 
has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals. And I looked, behold, in the midst of the throne, the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. A lamb and a lion. Two very, very different kind of creatures. Talking about two very important issues that you're seeing in the journey in Exodus. And one is the ransom, which is the purchase. And the other is the redemption, which is the power. You see, if you're going to find faith in God, you have to find it through being the power of God and the forgiveness of God. Listen to what it says in Hosea 13, 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Again in Jeremiah 3.11. For the Lord uh, hath redeemed Jacob and re ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Listen to Ephesians 1.14. Christ is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Have you ever stopped to think about how words are and how powerful words are? Let me just give you an idea here. Words, secondly, are creative and powerful. Sometimes we fail to recognize how powerful words are. When God created the heavens and the earth, how did he do it? He spoke the world into existence, didn't he? He just simply spoke and it happened. Then you move down into, into chapter 2 and 3 and there you find Adam and guess what it says of God? And God was in the midst. The voice of the Lord God was walking in the midst of the garden. You ever seen a voice walk? The voice of the Lord God was walking in the garden. That voice was the eternal Son of God, not yet taking on human flesh. Hebrew scholars will tell you this was God walking among them. But why is he called the voice? Because the voice is the creative dimension of man. When you were creating the image of God, you were giving a voice. Now some of you think your dogs and cats can talk. And I know someone will send me an email and say yes. Maybe even an MP3 and say, listen. It says my name. This morning I got up about 5 o'clock and the coyotes were crying outside my door. I don't know what they were saying. Maybe they were communicating back and forth, but when it comes to man, God gave you the ability to articulate words in such a way because the power is in the word. You see, when Jesus said, you have an obstacle in your, in your life, you look at the mountain and you speak to the mountain. You speak to the mountain. He said, when you want to know what it means to walk with God, to understand God, to have faith in God, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth is confession made unto salvation. There's power. Have you ever noticed how different your prayers are when you pray out loud versus when you pray just in your mind? Get all alone and start praying out loud. You're going to see something different happen there. You know why? Because there's power. You see, Jesus even said, we will be held accountable for every idle word we speak. See the power of words? I want to show you a video. Some of you may have seen it. It's got about 2 million views in the last week. It's about a, a singer who showed up on... Britain's Got Talent. His name is Jonathan. 
Jonathan is, by his own words, a very bashful, very overweight, 17-year-old boy who dropped out of school because of all the criticism of other students because of his weight. When he comes on stage, you're going to notice that there's smirks because here's this long-haired Brit wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt, and you think to yourself, this is going to be good. What I want you to do is not only listen to it, it's about a two and a half minute video, but what I want you to do is not only listen to it, I want you to listen very carefully to what he says at the end when Simon suggests that his singing partner drop out of the picture. Okay, let's watch the video. Good, nice to meet you. Uh, what's the actual? Uh, Charlotte and Jonathan. Charlotte and Jonathan. Okay. Um, and how old are you both? I'm 16. I'm 17. Okay. Um, and, and you thought the combination would work? Whose idea was it? And it was our singing teacher's actually. She thought it would be good to try us out together. <laughs> and we both sounded quite good when we sang what we did. Okay, you're not saying much, Jonathan. Are you shy? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I've always had sort of problems with my size since like, I can remember. And when I was in sort of primary school, it was back then really that I had sort of the mitt taken out of me, and it, it kind of damaged my confidence quite a bit. When when people would say something to me, I'd just, it'd just take a little piece out of me in a sense. I'm quite protective of Jonathan, like, if someone, if I was there and someone stood there and said something to him, I wouldn't sit, I couldn't sit there with my mouth shut. Before you make a judgement on someone, I think you really need to get to know them, it's not. It's cliches, it's not judging a book by its cover, you've got, you've got to read what's inside. Charlotte's been a really big help for me in terms of confidence and making me a better performer and I really don't think I'd be going up on stage today if I didn't have Charlotte on my side. And do you think you could win? Yeah, together. <laughs> Alright, good luck.
if you can move an audience like that and you sing beautifully together. A pop voice and an opera voice together. It was incredible. Okay, this is what I think. As Charlotte, I think you're good, but Jonathan, you are unbelievable. You have an outstandingly good voice. Thank you very much. How old are you? 17. I mean, that's unbelievable. Jonathan, you are a future star. Thank you. This works as a duo, but I worry, Charlotte, whether you're going to hold him back. Well, we've come on here as a duo, and we're going to stay here as a duo. You know, you just left speechless. I think the thing that hit me the most was not his ability, was what he said at the end. We came here as a duo, we're going to leave here as a duo. Proverbs chapter 18 says this, a man, a man is filled with what comes from his mouth and is nourished by what his lips provide. Listen carefully to this. This is one of the most powerful principles in scripture. It says, the tongue has the power over life and death. Those who like speaking will eat its fruit. Think about how much death was poured into that young man prior to that moment. Think even after he had that moment of stardom on that stage, how even Simon spoke some death into the situation. You see, your words... They can bless your future, or they can curse your future. The tongue has the power of life and death. No wonder scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. In other words, people who are anxious to get the gospel into the lives of people. You see, by your words, you can determine the way that you think about God. Your life and your future. Think about how when you say something about God like, I don't know where God is, versus God is here, how different it sounds, how different the presence is. If you look back to that Exodus 15 passage for just a moment, it says in verses 6 through 8, Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. That should be your prayer. God, your right hand has been glorious in power in my life. Does that sound different than, I don't know if God can get me out of this mess? Then it goes on to say this, your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy to pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You see, you don't have any enemies. Only God has enemies. It wasn't about the Egyptians and the Israelites here. It was about the Egyptians and God. It consumed them like stubble, and with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. Amazing. 
When you were in the wilderness, you assumed that God put you there to punish you, but just the opposite is true. God put you there to promote you. Wonder if that's true? Moses took, God took Moses, put him in the wilderness for 40 years to get him ready to stand before Pharaoh. Seems like odd training, doesn't it? The Son of God, God led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, it says, to be tested or tempted by the devil. He had to prepare him there. You see, in the wilderness, what you discover is God's unfailing power and authority. In the wilderness, you understand how to be courageous. In the wilderness, you understand what's important to God versus what you thought was important. In the wilderness, you understand God-given authority over the enemy. And let me tell you, when you get a spiritual promotion, just remember, when you go up levels in spiritual authority and power, remember, with every new level, there's a new devil. You're going to be fighting against higher principalities and powers in every level you take. I want you to turn to Isaiah 43. Not as easy to find as Revelation. But it's in there. You got it? All right. Keep looking. It's in there. At least we didn't send you to Micah. Or Jude. You said, where's Jude? That's a little book. All right. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 19. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea. You know what sea that is? That's the Red Sea. This is a reference to historically what we're reading. And a path through of the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. I love that metaphor. God just licks his fingers. Takes your enemy and goes, Try that. It's fun. It is fun. Go ahead. Everybody do it. Come on. Some of you, some of you just try it. What's it going to hurt? Just try it one time. Ready? Kind of fun, wasn't it? All the way home, you're going to be doing it. I can tell it already. Now look what it says. Verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. He says to Israel, don't remember when you were a slave. Get slave thinking out of your head. Get bondage out of your head. You're a free people now. Verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing, and shall it not spring forth? Shall you not know it? I even will make a road in the wilderness. See, you can be going through the wilderness, but it can be like a highway. All around you, all around you, things are falling apart. You're going, I'm on the highway with God, and, and to be in the center and the presence of God, how could it get any better than this? And rivers in the desert. Psalm 91 says this. Listen to it. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Have you been there lately? You get into the secret place of the Most High God. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. I will say. Underline it. I will say, I speak it out loud. It doesn't say I will think. It says I will say. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and in Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Let me show you this third thought. God is unique and irresistible. 
many of you saw the movie, The Stepford Wives? How many husbands secretly dream <laughs> that you could turn your wife into a robot who would always be compliant, beautiful? But the relationship was really no relationship at all, was it? They were impersonal and they lacked intimacy. Some people contend that God, for example, could prevent evil in the world. Indeed, he could. But in preventing evil, he would then prevent good. For you see, good and evil are both conditioned on freedom when it comes to mankind. If God eliminates man's will to do evil, does he not then remove man's ability to do good? Because now there is no contrast between good and evil. Everything is neutral. God is unique, it says in verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among all the gods? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And then it isolates out. It says, we, we read about God being irresistible there in verse 15. The people of Edom are dismayed. The mighty men of Moab tremble. The inhabitants of Canaan, they melt away. Fear strikes at the heart of those who depart from God. When you look at that, you wonder, why those? Why that grouping? Well, Edom the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Moab, the descendants of that illegitimate relationship with Lot and his daughter. Canaan, the descendants of Ham, the one who turned his back and laughed at his father in his drunkenness, Noah. You remember when, when Israel went into the land to spy out the land, they encountered, their first encounter was with a harlot by the name of Rahab. Listen to what Rahab said. This is Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us. You see, the reputation of God had preceded the people of God. Your terror has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When you start to move in the power and the influence of God, your reputation precedes you. People begin to ask the questions. They begin to wonder. Hundreds of years later, the Philistines would join and say this in 1 Samuel 4, 8. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Exodus 15, 3. Listen to what it says. Your mercy, you in mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. This is not an earthly habitation. You see, we already read in Revelation chapter 15 that God opens up the door of this heavenly habitation. It is the kingdom that will come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is an atmospheric presence of God. Have you ever been in one of those moments where someone's telling you something about God and you get that, that feeling? You just say, wow, something just showed up here. God's doing something. Deuteronomy 26, 15, it says, Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, O God. Places like people can become overcome by God's presence. They can also be overcome by demons. Write the scripture down. Check it out later. I'll just read it to you. It's Revelation 18, 2. He cried with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a habitation of demons. A prison of 
of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Some years ago, I was doing crusades in El Salvador. We went down into what was known then as the Eastern Zone, still called that. It was a place where communist rebels had had, had the final stronghold. And every evil man, every ungodly thing you could imagine found itself down into that eastern zone. Driving into the town, you could feel the oppression as you went in. It was almost like a spiritual atmosphere of darkness. We drove in. I noticed there was a gang uh, standing over here, and I determined that, that would be the place to start. You see, they were the visible sign of evil. They represented spiritual strongholds that controlled that town. It was a calm late afternoon. There was not a cloud in the sky. We set up the movie screen before we began to preach and the equipment. We began ministering the word of God, but there seemed to be confusion in the town. When I went to the gang member, I, I challenged him to, to, about the cause of Christ. He said, you know what I really want? I said, what do you want? He said, I really want to kill an American. Canadian. As we invited people uh, to, to come to that event, all of a sudden the clouds rolled in, the wind began to blow, the screen toppled over. It was an eerie feeling. It was, you felt like Satan was succeeding. But remember, God always leads us in his triumph. Setbacks are necessary for a comeback. Our sound system was powered by a generator, not by the electricity in the town that had gone out. We were the only show in town. There was not a TV, a light anywhere, and from all around you could see a movie screen and you could hear the sound of the Word of God. We were the entertainment of the night. Mm -hmm. And hundreds of people were saved that night. Mm -hmm. I love the, the words that we find over here in Joshua. Listen to what it says. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? Where do you come from? And they said, From a very far country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard of his fame and that all he did in Egypt. Is God hearing? Are people hearing? Are you proclaiming his fame? You see, part of what happens when God works in your life, it sends forward the message that God is all. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. When you speak, speak words of life. Speak words of truth. Speak words of integrity. Remember this, your greatest obstacle is your pathway to success. Your greatest obstacle, what are you, what are you facing right now? What do you say? This is my greatest obstacle right now in my life. It could be anything from a spouse to a child to a job to a situation, to a circumstance, to an emotion, to a feeling. It could be anything. It is your pathway to success. But you have to offer it on the altar of God. Would you do that today? Let's stand together.